Good evening and welcome to this online gathering of Outfitter Church. I hope you guys have had a good week. Uh, I hope that you are surviving and you're enduring through the quarantine season continuing on. Um, I miss you and I long to be with you face to face again at the hangar. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to preach God's word to you tonight and an honor to get to worship with you. Even though we can't be together face to face, we are still getting to sing to the Lord and hear his word preached to us. And so I want to begin uh, this evening with a story about a man named Michael Sattler um, in the 1500s. And so uh, here, just listen in with me as we read this. On a spring day in May 1527, Michael Sattler was sentenced to death at the imperial city of Rottenburg on the Neckar River. The sentence read, and this is a, a kind of a graphic sentencing, and so I know we have children listening, <laughs> so parents, proceed at your own risk. It's, it's, it's not too, it happened, it's a true story, so uh, I'll read it to you. It says, Michael Sattler shall be committed to the executioner. The latter shall take him to the square and there first cut out his tongue and then tie him fast to a wagon and there with glowing iron tongs twice tear pieces from his body. Then on the way to the site of the execution five more as above, five times more as above, then burn his body to powder as an arch heretic. Heretic meaning someone who teaches false doctrine. Now you'd think if, if this horrible, brutal execution of somebody, it would warrant a really, really, really bad teaching about Christ. But yet, the people who killed him wrote this about him. He also spoke concerning baptism in such a way that you can see he only rejected infant baptism through which one thinks to be saved. For as a printed booklet concerning him reports, he proved his point by arguing that faith alone can save. Furthermore, he pled for instruction from biblical scripture and offered to accept the same. And so, what, what Michael Sattler did is he believed that, that only someone who can, with their own mind, think and reason with the gospel and and hear the gospel and go, yes, I'm a sinner and I need to repent of my sins and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for, my, for the forgiveness of my sins. And I'm going to repent of that and put my faith in Him. He believed that only uh, you can only be saved if you make that decision. And then, once you've made that decision, then you're qualified to be baptized as a symbol of your faith. And so he, he didn't believe that baptizing infants would save their souls. And so he said, brothers and sisters, since, since God's word tells us that only someone is saved by faith in Christ, well then only those who have faith in Christ should be baptized because baptism is a symbol of your salvation. So we should stop baptizing infants and telling them that they're saved from their sins. And, and it, literally it is because of that that they brutally tortured him and killed him by burning him at the stake. This is why we believe, this is why we make such a big deal of God's Word. 
This is why we believe that it is perfect and inspired and without any errors and that we can trust it, that we can submit to God's Word. That's what Michael Sattler was saying. He's saying because God's Word is true, we have to follow it. And, and I'm just now realizing I totally forgot in my welcome to say that if you don't have a copy of God's Word, um, we want you to message us or to email us and, and let us know. Send us your address and, and we're going to uh, mail you a copy of God's Word or simply get on the Version Bible app and, and download CSB, Christian Standard Bible, and, uh, and, and read along with us. But, but, but why is the Bible so important? Because it's God's perfect inspired Word. This is why we make a big deal of it. Michael Sattler gave his life for it. This is why we make a big deal about baptism. It's why we make a big deal about the Lord's Supper. It's why we make a big deal about whatever it is that we believe as Christians. Because the road that got us to where we are today is paved with blood. The blood of of men and women of God that gave their lives standing up for the truth and for the name of Jesus Christ. And I read that story to you, one, because it's one of my favorites, and two, because the text that we're going to be looking at in today talks a lot about suffering. And again, what should we do as Christians? How do we respond? How do we, how do we believe about God? How do we think about God in the midst of suffering? And so turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to be in verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 19. As, as we continue along in our exile sermon series throughout the book of 1 Peter now, we are now coming to the, the conclusion. So he began uh, discussing what it means to live an honorable life in chapter 2. And now at the end of chapter 4, we've talked about all of those different things. And, and the last couple of sermons have been about what do we do amidst suffering. And so Peter is concluding what he has to say about suffering. And then he'll continue on to talk about leadership and then his closing message to the church. Uh, so tonight we're in First Peter um, so yeah, First Peter chapter four verses twelve through nineteen, and so look with me in your copy of God's Word, and let's read this together. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God, with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, then what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. As we look in verse 12, 
says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Now, Throughout this series, you've heard me make a couple different remarks that that I love Peter. Uh, He makes me laugh because he's just incredibly blunt and straight to the point. At at one point in time, he says, um, yeah, suffering's going to happen. Suck it up and deal with it. And so that's at one point throughout this letter, he's pretty blunt with his readers. Um, Although he loves them, he's just straight to the point with them. Um, Here, though... We do see in what I'm going to call the, the grandfather side of, of Peter. Uh, he, he begins this passage by saying, Dear friends, and, and in several translations of, of this passage, it says beloved. And so uh, the, the term beloved, the term, the term dear friends is one of great endearment, one of great love and, and compassion and care for, and great thoughts towards the people that he's speaking to. And so he says, dear friends, beloved, don't be surprised when this fiery ordeal comes upon you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. And, and, and what I think Or what I see in this passage is is this truth. Dear friends, suffering must not surprise us. And and the reason I say that is because he calls it a fiery ordeal. And he says it's going to test you. And he says don't act as if something unusual were happening to you. And so when he says the fiery ordeal, he's he's giving a nod back to his opening chapter of the book. In in chapter 1 verse 7, when he says... So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire. So your faith is is more valuable than gold, which is refined by fire, so that it may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so uh, at the very beginning and then towards the end of his letter... He is saying, don't be surprised when this fiery ordeal, this suffering, this, this trial and tribulation comes upon you. This is not to be unexpected in the Christian life. Whenever I preach the gospel um, at our church gatherings or in any situation, I, I never want to pretend as if following Christ makes your life easy and, and, and perfect all the time. No, but it, it, it makes it worth it that you have a Savior that has redeemed you, He's adopted you, He's given you purpose. And so, yes, following Christ is worth it, but be- beginning to follow Christ doesn't take away all the problems in your world. It takes away your sin, but it doesn't take away suffering. And so he says, don't be surprised when this fiery ordeal comes among you to test you. And so this fiery ordeal, he's referencing again back in chapter 1, this fire is, is what is used by somebody to, to, to refine the gold. And anything that's not a, a pure gold part of or pure gold material it gets burned away and so what's happening to our faith when this fiery ordeal comes it's purging us of imperfections and it is creating in us a much more solid and 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 true faith it's refining us and so the fiery ordeal has a purpose um, and it's going to test you this isn't god uh, as a cynical being saying, oh, she better not mess up whenever I test her with this suffering. No, no, no. What, what, what's happening is, is 
God is sovereignly, and that word sovereign means that God is in control. So God is sovereignly allowing this suffering to come into your life for whatever reason it is. I'm not pretending to know the mind of God in every ounce of every believer and every non-believer's suffering. But what I can say is that God is sovereignly allowing this suffering to take place in your life as a test, meaning it's, it's refining you, it's achieving a purpose in you, because it's in the middle of our sufferings that we have to lean on God even more. We have to trust God even more. We have to rely on God even more. And, and all the while knowing that if we endure faithfully in this, there is coming for us believers and those Christians, that there is coming for us an eternity where there is no more suffering. So, so it's, it's, it's accomplishing something. It's not wasteful suffering. Then he says, as if something unusual were happening to you. Again, I, I read about Michael Sattler. I, I think about Jesus. I mean, holy smokes, he came. He, he didn't live eating luxurious meals, staying in luxurious homes. No, he, he often had small, meager meals. He, he told one person on occasion, he says, foxes have places to sleep and birds have nests, but, but the Son of Man himself has no place to lay his head. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm drifting. I'm moving from place to place. I don't even have a home. So are you sure you want to follow me? Is what he's, he's challenging this, this guy who said he wants to follow him, and he's probably thinking there's be no suffering involved in following Jesus. And Jesus just reaffirms that there will be. And so Jesus uh, lives a rough life, a, a hard life with lots of suffering, and then he suffers and dies on the cross. And of course, we know that he's buried and he's resurrected from that, but still suffering is there. I think about Peter, the guy who wrote this book. It is well documented that he very likely was crucified upside down. Many of the other disciples that were with Jesus in his time were killed and murdered because of their faith in Christ. And so, church, Suffering should not surprise us. It's always been a part of the people of God. We have always suffered for believing in the name of Christ. So dear friends, suffering must not surprise us. But as we continue on, we read in verse 13, it says, Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. What I see clearly in this passage is, dear friends, Suffering for the Savior enables us to know the presence of God in a unique way. I think about back in college, uh, this, this body only has the remnants left of a college athlete, but I played one year of college baseball, and, and the other day I was on the phone with my roommates from college, and we all played on the same team, and, and we just laughed about the nights that, that uh, one night in particular, we just had to run and run and run. We'd gotten in trouble, and we had to run, and we had to run, and we had to run, and it was just this miserable night of suffering physically, and, uh, and we just laughed, and we joked about that on the phone, you know, looking back in hindsight, um, but, but if you weren't on that baseball team, you, you didn't understand what that night was like. 
And so only people who experience that suffering can, can really truly share that experience with that team. And so what's happening in this passage is, is that Peter is comforting us. Remember, he's, he's putting on the grandfather hat and he comforts us. And, and, and what is so true about what, what he says in this passage is that, dear friends, suffering for the Savior enables us to know the presence of God in a unique way. When you suffer for the Savior, there is a special way that you experience God that only people who've suffered can understand. And so, first we look, it says, Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. These aren't your own individual sufferings that are completely separated from any knowledge and understanding of God. No, it says they're the sufferings of Christ. What does that mean? Well, one, Christ suffered in the same way. If you're being ridiculed because of your faith, that happened to Jesus. And then another thing I think is really powerful about this is it says the sufferings of Christ. In the book of Acts, there's, um, there, there is Saul, who, who's also called Paul. Um, Saul is persecuting the church. And, and when God intervenes, when Jesus appears to him in a moment, and it's at his conversion moment, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What's interesting about that is Jesus has already resurrected. There's a pastor named Mark Dever, and he's the one that was talking about this in a book. And it's a phenomenal point. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Yet Jesus had died and was resurrected by that time and wasn't even on the earth. And yet Saul is persecuting the church. But when Jesus confronts him, he says, you're you're." persecuting me. And so what I see so clearly in that is that Jesus loves his bride, the church, so much that when someone is persecuting the church, he knows they're persecuting him. And he takes that upon himself. And so Christian, if you are suffering for the name of Christ, know that Christ also suffered in those same ways and that he doesn't consider this some one-off suffering that you're going through. Those are his sufferings. He still feels the weight of that suffering with you. So take heart in that. Then it says, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. Friends, the suffering that we experience in this life as believers, it makes us realize this world is not our home. It's broken. And it says that in the midst of our suffering, when we're faithful in it, we look forward to Christ coming back. We look forward to Christ coming the second time and establishing His kingdom forever where He will will eradicate sin. He will bind Satan and do away with him and He will set up a suffer or a kingdom where there is no more suffering because sin and evil have been dealt with. And so when we rejoice as we share in these sufferings uh, so that we may also rejoice when Christ comes again. These sufferings prepare us to praise God for when He comes back and takes away these sufferings. And then the last thing which is really powerful in this, He says in verse 14, If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, what Peter is very likely doing is quoting Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 and 2. And it says, Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, which is a a, a Jewish family line that, that the Old Testament promises that out of this family line, the Messiah must come. And so out of uh, Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. So it's saying that there's someone going to be born out of this family line. 
It says the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Yahweh, the Lord, will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And so, that, that was a prophecy that when Jesus comes, the Spirit of God, the power of God was going to dwell on Him, in Him, with Him. And so what, what Peter is saying is he's saying that if you're going through these sufferings of Christ, then you are blessed. Why? Because the Spirit of glory and of God, that same Spirit um, that we just read about, it rests on you. And so the same Spirit that empowered Jesus' ministry, enabled Him to endure through the shame and the sufferings of the cross, and enabled Him to resurrect and conquer death and conquer the grave and resurrect from the dead, that same Spirit, that same power of God dwells on you. It rests on you in the midst of of your suffering. So some of you have, have had something happen to you that has changed you forever. And, and what, the, what Peter is saying, he's comforting us. He says, you are blessed because in the midst of your suffering, the Spirit of God rests on you in those moments. Friends, how amazing to know that in the midst of our suffering, the same power and Spirit of God that enabled Jesus to endure the cross is going to enable us to endure this suffering. Verse 15 says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. <laughs> so it's like this weird, like, Suffering, 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 don't sin, suffering, suffering. And so, but, but, but Peter's doing something with this. And, and what we need to know is that, dear friends, we should not be suffering due to our sin. Okay? He, he lists three things. Murderer, thief, evildoer. Those are three gimmies that anyone in that culture would be like, yep, it's bad to murder, it's bad to be a thief, and it's bad to be an evildoer. Those things are bad. And so there's top level Sin categories, Peter writes them right off, okay? So don't be a murderer, don't be a thief, don't be an evildoer. Then he says, or a meddler. So that's someone who's just getting their nose in someone else's business, a, a busybody, someone who's just always prying into other people's business and being nosy, okay? So, so he says, don't be a murderer and don't be a meddler. So anything in between, what, what Peter's doing with this verse is he's reminding them of their context, okay? As we've talked about, they're very likely the only light for, the, for Christ in their community. They're probably the only church in the area. And so what Peter is saying is like, look, some of you, if, if you're going to suffer because you, you believe in Jesus Christ and because you're being faithful to Him and they're going to wrongly persecute you and harm you and talk bad about you because of that, that's one thing. That's honorable, brother. You're blessed. Sister, you're blessed when you suffer that way. But don't you dare give them validity to accuse you of wrong behavior. They're already hating you because of what you believe about Jesus. Don't give them ammunition. So he says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, as one of these big things, or even as one of the smaller categories of sin with, with being a meddler. So being a nosy person, always in someone else's business. He's saying, don't give your non-Christian community a reason to actually accuse you and let it stick. 
He's telling them to be above reproach, which means living a lifestyle that doesn't allow the, the mud to stick when it's thrown at you. This was a culture that hated them. And they were doing everything they could to stop them. And so Peter says, don't you dare ruin the light of Christ by getting caught up in sin. And so this makes me, this makes me think that if <laughs> you may be able to hear my son crying right now, um, a little bit of transparent community. Uh, he usually sleeps through the night, but he is waking up and screaming quite loud right now. So I'm assuming Ashley will come running through here any moment now uh, to go soothe a crying baby. Um, but, but he's saying, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. And so what, what really gets me here is, is the need for us to be holy. So is what you're sharing on social media lining up with the same gospel that you share? And, and is what you're doing on the weekends validating or bringing shame upon your faith? And so we've got to think about these things. Um, are, we, are we giving the non-Christian community around us any kind of ammo to accuse us and it actually be true? Because if we want to, to shine the light of Christ in a dark world, then we can't parade around in sin and expect not to get called out on it and for that to harm our witness for Christ. And so, dear friends, we must not suffer due to our own sin. Verse 16, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God having, in having that name. That verse right there, verse 16, that, that is a powerful um, anchor for our souls. Uh, let, let's continue reading in, in 17 and 18 as well. It says in 17, For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And verse 18, And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. Dear friends, our Savior uses suffering to do the sifting. I, I tried to make that kind of catchy with the S's there, but it's true. What's happening in this passage is that, uh, dear friends, our, our Savior uses suffering to do the sifting. And, and, and sifting meaning that he, he's, he's straining out things that aren't what He wants. <clears throat> and so he, he says in verse 16, that, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. Again, going back uh, to chapter 2, where it talks about we're being built into a spiritual house, a priesthood of believers. Now, <clears throat> it, it's an interesting phrase that he uses when he talks about judgment. We kind of come to these um, peculiar passages because when he says that, Judgment's going to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, then how bad is it going to be for the ungodly and for the sinner? And so, is God doing this weird thing where He's just taking out His punishment and His wrath on the Christians? No, because the Scripture makes it very clear. The Scriptures make it very clear that all of God's wrath for our sin was poured out on Christ on the cross. And so, we've been forgiven of that. So, so what's really happening here? <clears throat> well, for... 
For, for many of us, for a lot of Christians, we have a really bad theology of suffering. Um, and, and the word theology means that uh, the study of God or, or how God's working in a situation. So typically we have a very bad understanding of how God is working amongst judgment and amongst suffering. Um, and, and so oftentimes when, when things, when bad things happen to us or judgment happens to us, we're like, oh man, what did I do to bring this upon myself? Like what sin did I commit to make God uh, bring suffering and allow suffering into my life? Or, or we think, what did I do to deserve this? Or, or we think, um, what can I do to get the suffering to stop? And so we have all kinds uh, of bad ideas and, and thought processes when it comes to suffering. But Peter's trying to explain and to inform us some things that God is doing. He says, for the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And then if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? What this is getting at is that every person has to stand before God and give an account. We talked about this last week. That I talked about how um, when people were receiving life sentences, that they broke down and they wept. And Jesus talks about um, how there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth um, at the day of judgment and then for an eternity separated from Him um, in that place versus eternity where there's joy and no suffering and there's the presence of God. Um, and so every person has to give an account. The passage last week talked about how the living and the dead. And so here we go again. Peter is just simply reiterating that, that that the judgment is beginning with God's household. So, so we as Christians are still going to be judged or given account to God. Now, what's going to happen on that account is when we stand before God, we're going to know that we on our own don't measure up. That, that we have fallen short of God's, of God's perfect standard. But for us, for the believer, we go through this suffering and it purges us of imperfections and it gets us ready for this time when we stand before the Lord, right? But even when we stand there, we're still going to have fallen short of God's glory on our own. But for us, for the believer, we have repented and turned away from our sin and we've put our faith in the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the, He was the substitute in our place on the cross. And so what happens is that when we stand before God, what happens is that we, we have fallen short. And so if, the, if there was a ledger on our life, it would show that we had clearly fallen short. But through our faith in Jesus, then Jesus' blood and Jesus' righteousness covers over all of our shortcomings. And, and we, the righteousness of Christ is then accredited to our account. And so on behalf of Christ, in our faith in Christ, we are pronounced not guilty because we've been given the righteousness of Christ. And so this judgment is talking about this. And, and, and what he's getting at is that this is going to be a much different scenario and courtroom session for those who have not believed in Christ. And so he says, um, if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, then what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And so if you're, if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, what I mean by a Christian is someone whose life is marked by faithfulness and obedience to Jesus Christ because you've, you've recognized that you've fallen short of God's ways, 
and you've turned from those sinful ways and are following Jesus in a redeemed relationship. And so he's, he's the ruler, he's the boss of your life, and you're following his ways. Um, that is a Christian. So if you're, if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, then my sincere question to you is, what will be your defense when you give an account to God? When, when God asks you and you stand before Him and you say, or, and He says, why did you reject me? What is your defense going to be? Perhaps it's truly, well, I, I didn't believe that there was a creator. Did, did you not look around? Did you not look into the skies and see the stars? Did you not look at the mountains and see the beautiful handiwork of God? Did you not look at the rivers and the lakes and the oceans and and all the beautiful creatures that I made on this earth and the beauty of humanity and the intricacy of of the human uh, person? Did did you not see that? Well, well, maybe you think... um, I didn't think that there could be a good God when there were so many evil things taking place. Did you not take seriously the the message of the gospel that says that due to evil and sin, I I punished my son on the cross in your place and and his death was in the substitutionary place for your death? And, And it's through his death, burial, and resurrection that I am now uniting all things together and I am going to bring justice to all the evilness and I'm going to eradicate sin and evil, which me and you are a part of. And so did you not believe that I was going to do what I said I was going to do in the scriptures? Or, or maybe you'd say, well, my parents didn't raise me to believe in you, God. And maybe God would say, did I not send Christians along your path to tell you this message? No matter what defense you give to God, as the age-old hunting phrase is, is that dog won't hunt. There's no defense you could give to yourself that is sufficient for why you rejected God all of your life. You know, perhaps maybe he'd say, didn't you attend that online gathering of Outfitter Church where that short little preacher told you about Jesus and begged you to turn from your sins and follow me? Truly, if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, What defense would you have if you stood before God to give an account? Because you're going to stand before God and give an account. Are you going to be declared guilty or not guilty by your faith in Christ and the forgiveness of your sins by what He accomplished on the cross? I truly am asking you to reconsider and to change your mind and to put your faith in Jesus Christ. As we continue on, We read in verse 19. So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Dear friends, your suffering is never alone. It is always alongside your Savior. So keep going. Did you catch that? Dear friends, your suffering is never alone. It is always alongside your Savior, so keep going. You know, this message, this entire passage being preached is 
in many places of the world is very easy to apply in a literal sense. That in, in these places where it's illegal to be a Christian, where, where the government can come in and they can stop your church gathering and they can arrest you and legally they can even kill you for being a Christian. This, this passage is very easy to apply in those situations. But for the vast majority of us, we have yet and we probably will die without having experienced true persecution. Now, now I know that it is true that some of you uh, and some people that I even know have shared the gospel with a co-worker in their workplace and then they were reprimanded by that. And, and that's, that's true persecution. That's real suffering. Uh, I'm not making light of that. Okay? If that's your situation, entrust yourself to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Keep proclaiming the gospel in however and wherever you can do that. And, and, and entrust yourself to God that whatever consequences come of that, you're going to be okay. Keep proclaiming the gospel. But for the vast majority of us, we haven't experienced that and we likely will not experience that at least living in Wyoming in America. So so I want to do something though. I want to I want to make a transfer and I want to make some applications. Now, I want you to walk with me on how I do this as well. Uh, my job as a pastor is to try and help you on your own to interpret God's word well. Uh, and and I want all of you to be uh, have Bible fluency. I want to have better Bible fluency. It's one of our core values. So let me explain to you how, how I'm going to make this, this transfer uh, of applying this into some different ways. So there's this thing called the interpretive journey. Uh, it, it is just a simple way of trying to interpret the Bible well. And so you have their town, you have our town, you have the river that divides us, and then you have the bridge that connects the two towns. Okay? So in their town, what that is, is their context and their culture. And so as you look at uh, this book of First Peter, and specifically this passage, um, we could say they live under a Roman government in Asia Minor. So they're on a different continent with a different government structure. Um, they have an anti-Christian society. Um, there is truly um, citywide uh, persecution going on, endorsed. Uh, it, it's not illegal for them to be persecuting Christians. And so that's kind of the context and the culture of their town, as well as they're probably the only church in the nearby area. So very few churches, very few gospel witnesses. So that's, that's their town. Now, let's go to our town. We're in Wyoming in the year 2020. Uh, we have a democratic government. We have uh, lots of churches, um, maybe not specifically in Barnon, but in the Casper area and in, in regards to Asia Minor and this book of 1 Peter, we have a lot more Christian churches um, in our state than they had in theirs. And so uh, we're in a, uh, a different type of government. We're in a different type of culture when it comes to uh, religion and the amount of churches that we have. Uh, and I would say that in many ways we have a neutral towards Christianity culture. There are certain pockets where it's a negative thing to be a Christian. Um, there's also certain pockets where the like, morals of Christianity are, are highly valued. And so I'd say that we have a neutral Christian culture. There is no little to no persecution, physical persecution going on in our country and in our state. And so those are our two different towns 
And then the river that divides is really just, what are the huge differences? And so we, we've listed a couple um, persecutions happening there, not with us. Um, they have very few churches. We have a lot of churches. There were 2,000 years ago, some maybe 30 to 50 years after Jesus was walking the earth. Uh, they didn't have the complete Bible as we do. So there's some, some pretty big differences that divide our cultures. Um, specifically, the main one being that we are not being physically persecuted for our faith. Okay, and then, so that's the river that divides our two towns, and then there's a bridge, and it's the principal bridge that takes the principle of what's taking place in their town and, and what the Bible was saying to them, and we can apply that principle into our life. Why is this important? Because the Bible cannot mean today what it didn't mean then. So the Bible can never mean to me something different than what it meant to the original audience. We can apply it differently, but it doesn't mean. So we have to know what it meant to the, to the hearers and the readers and the audience of 1 Peter in order to take the accurate principles into our day today and apply it. Now, after we've done that interpretive journey, the, the principles that carry over is that um, God is always doing something with our suffering. That, that There's always a purpose to our suffering if we're in Christ. Okay, um, another principle that carries over is that God is with us in our suffering as Christians. So that principle carries over. And then another thing that carries over is that we can entrust ourselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. So God is worthy of us trusting him uh, amidst the chaos and the pain of suffering. And so those, those principles carry over. And now, based upon those principles, I want to make some applications that are much more present and real in our current day. One of those is that the biggest amount of suffering that will come for some Christians <clears throat> is your suffering with your own sinful nature, your own sinful habits. And I'm not talking about uh, earlier where it said, don't suffer because of your sin as a murderer, uh, a thief or evildoer or meddler. What I'm talking about is the, the sin that is waging a war inside of you. <clears throat> Excuse me. That that is some of some of us that is going to be our biggest struggle and suffering is, is conquering our own sin. And, and we say, God, I, I've prayed and I've asked you to deliver me. Um, God, I've, I've memorized scripture about this sin and, and I'm trying to get over it. Jesus, I've done everything. I've told my friends about it and I'm trying to overcome the sin. Why haven't you delivered me yet? Friends, just getting to know God doesn't come after you've conquered and mastered all of your sins. Don't forget that God is with you in the trenches as you fight a war against your own sin. That's part of the, the beauty of God is that he, since he's there with you, you're getting to know him in the midst of you trying to come out of ugly, awful, gross sin that you're suffering with. So fight well and know that God is with you in the trenches. Another form of, of suffering is, is, is all of us know a loved one that has been plagued with disease and with cancer. Or, or maybe a loved one is taken from us way too soon from what we would say uh, in, in, a, in a freak car accident. Or some random freak accident that takes place and, and our loved one is now dead and gone because of that. And we think, God, why? And amidst our misery and the pain that we feel when those things happen, we say, God, why? God, why? God, why? How could you possibly be getting anything good out of this, God? 
I don't pretend to know the mind of God. Like I said, in every millisecond of every person's suffering, I can't give a perfect answer for those. But what I can say is that the principles from this passage carry over and that God is with us in our suffering. We can trust God in the midst of our suffering and and, and He's with us. He comforts us and He gives us the power to endure through it. It's not a waste of your pain. It is a purposeful It's a purposeful thing. God is sovereignly allowing this suffering to come into you and it is accomplishing things. It's not worthless. Maybe the way you're suffering is you say, God, why why did I have to be raised in a broken home? Why did I have to experience that? Or God, why did my spouse leave? God, why am I, why did my spouse get taken from this earth too soon? Why did my spouse die? All these different things. Why, God, are these things happening? And God gives us a, a glorious answer in 1 Peter chapter 19. So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Our suffering, again, rarely has to do with our, our physical being persecuted for our faith. But, but friends, I know that, that you are well acquainted with suffering. And, and I hope that you see that these principles carry over towards not just being persecuted for your faith, but it's also all the pains and the trials of life. We can entrust ourselves to God because there's a purpose to it all. He's achieving something with it. He's with us in the trenches and He's worthy of our trust amidst the pain. Hmm. Dear friends, your suffering is never alone. It is always alongside your Savior. So keep going. No matter how hard it gets, whether you lost your job and you're struggling financially now, God is with you. God is achieving something through this. And you can trust Him amidst it. Hang in there. Keep serving God. Keep doing what is good. Hang in there, church. Hang in there. As we close, I want to come back to the question that I had for the non-Christian. I asked you earlier, what defense will you give to God when you give an account for your life, when judgment is coming, and He says, why did you reject me? I I tried to be sincere with you in that no answer you ever give is going to be sufficient. And, And maybe right now, maybe this is the only time you hear the gospel, and I want it to be clear. You have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, God's perfect standard. So have I. The reason that matters is because God created you for a purpose. And that purpose was to live for Him, to share His goodness with others. We've broken that. Instead of punishing us forever in eternity called hell, He sent His Son to die in your place and in my place so that we could be forgiven if we would put our faith in Him, turn away from our old life and follow Him in a new abundant life, a redeemed life. If we will repent and follow Him. And then not only is His presence promised to us in this life, but also in the one to come in eternity forever.
And so I, I hope that while I've preached to you the Word of God, that God has changed, God has opened your eyes and you, you're changing your mind. And so what I'm going to do is if, if you've changed your mind and you want to follow Christ now, you want to hear not guilty, you want Christ's righteousness to cover your unrighteousness. That's what I wanted. And if that's what you want, <clears throat> then what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a prayer and then I'll pause and you can have a time to repeat that. And in doing that, you're confessing the gospel. You're saying, I once didn't believe, but now I believe and I'm giving you my life, Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you to pray with me this prayer in your home. If you want to begin following Christ, pray this with me. God, I need you. God, I have rejected you. I didn't think you were true. But I'm changing my mind. You've opened my eyes. I believe Jesus died in my place. I believe He resurrected from the dead. I want to turn from my sin and follow You. So forgive my sin. Give me new life. I will follow you all my days. And if suffering comes, I will entrust myself to you. I will be faithful to you. I give you my life, God. Do with it whatever you please. I am yours forever. Now, if you prayed that prayer, um, whether you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube, message us uh, or go to our website, outfitter.church, and, and con go to the contact page and let us know your name. Let us know that you trusted in Christ tonight. We want to celebrate with you. We want to we give you a Bible. We want to talk to you about baptism, making a public profession of your faith. And, and I'm honored that you have considered the gospel and you want to follow Christ. So now let me pray for our church and then we will begin to respond with song. Father, thank you for your word that comforts us. Thank you for being with us in our suffering. Thank you for being a God we can trust. Thank you for bringing purpose to our pain. God, we praise you now and we will praise you when you come again and get rid of all evil and all injustice and you establish your reign forever. God, we love you and strengthen our church to be a church that trusts you in the hard times, that proclaims the gospel of hope in the hard times. God, help us to be a church that is faithful to you. We love you. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.